When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, October 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th. This is Celtic Speed on CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 541 features the Athletics' Jared Weiss. And I'm Evan Valenti, and today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to fanduel.com slash Boston. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets when you make a $5 wager guaranteed. Friday the 13th is going to be, I feel like something bad could happen during this show, Kaufman. I feel like news could break and we'd get screwed. There's no news to break. It's, it's all, think, all done. You think? Games Harden trade is going to happen in the next 20 minutes. Can't wait. No doubt. What's up, everybody? New edition of Celtics Beat. We actually have games. They're not real games, but preseason games that have started to happen, which is, you know, a nice change of pace compared to the last several months of this show. But what I will say is this show, for uh, we're, we're on a nice little run here, a nice little, if you're watching the video, a nice little pat on the back here, because this show is uh, just just living in a space of, of, of not just uh, righteousness, but rightness, just being correct. The Peyton Pritchard conversation that we had all throughout the summer is looking better by the day as he is taking not summer league preseason games by storm. Welcome in. This is Celtics beat Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti. We're always here. Jared Weiss, a former host of this program and a longtime contributor of CLNS. And he has grown far bigger. And I don't want to say better because who knows who's listening, but bigger to the athletic. Thank you for welcoming uh, all, all all of your athletic fans and readers and viewers and listeners and all of it to this program here with us. Jared, how are you? Sure. All of our athletic people subscribe to Celtic Speed. All the Celtic Speed people subscribe to The Athletic on one of my it, latest articles. It's people helping people. Right. Just here to well, make each other money. Wait, right. so what was the Peyton Pritchard conversation all summer? The Peyton Pritchard conversation throughout the summer was, and and mind you, this is a, a big chunk of it was while Malcolm Brogdon was still on the Celtics roster. The Peyton Pritchard conversation was he is going to be better than Malcolm Brogdon this year. And that was wow. again with them sharing the uh the the same roster. Now, who knows? Brogdon's in a different place now and and he could wind up having a, a great year. I don't know. But the fact and and this was another thing too, even this this was post-Marcus Smart trade, but again, pre-Malcolm Brogdon trade. The belief that Peyton Pritchard was going to play a consistent 20 to 25 minutes per game. I don't think that was some sort of hot outlandish take. It was just looking at the guard depth and saying, yeah, Pritchard's going to have a real role. And obviously now he's got the contract extension. He's got the security that he has wanted. Now will he get the playing time and the role that he has been uh, languishing after? And I believe he will. So let's just start with that. What have your impressions here in preseason been of Peyton Pritchard? How he's looked, how he's played, how he's felt based on what he's relayed to all of you in the media. Wait, first impression is that he is definitely not as good as Malcolm Brogdon, and that's the dumbest take I've ever heard in my life. But <laughs> you probably had worse takes, so I don't want to say it's the dumbest take you've ever had. Um, Wait it out, Jared. You'll see. 
<laughs> Pey- Peyton's been good. He- he's been good. And I-, I-, I think any take that was pro Peyton was going to be good just because it couldn't have gotten worse. He was pissed. He really worked on getting a little bit more explosive uh, during the off season, which is like a really important thing for him. Is I think I think a lot of people in Boston they've watched Peyton Pritchard and they've been like, why isn't he getting an opportunity? Why like he's clearly got talent. The the thing with him is that he's short and he doesn't have a ton of like push. So he'll try to change direction. He'll try to get up in the air. And he just doesn't get up there the way a guard needs to to be able to really thrive in the NBA. And so that's really limited him when he's not able to just step up into a three. Like he's had trouble not just scoring in the paint, but also passing in the paint. And I, I and also, you know, people see like, I, you know, the, the ball handling drills that he was doing before he was in the NBA. They see stuff like that. They're like, he must be an amazing dribbler. It's one thing to be able to control the ball, but you also need to combine that with your footwork and your ability to move you know, uh, like move off of your steps. So like Kemba Walker was a great example. Probably the last guy I could think of in Boston where he was small, but every step he took, he was able to push off and get so much distance every single time he'd be able to hop around. And that made him super effective. He was able to like his step backs. He covered like 10 feet of space, basically on the step backs. And now we're seeing with Pritchard, you know, he's had a few of those step backs in the preseason and he's starting to come around. Like, they they did a really good job with you know his training staff with the team of like really kind of getting more pop in his game, having him play with a little bit more speed and like you know Peyton's aggressive, but he would usually kind of get towards where he needed to go and then he wouldn't find his window. And I think part of being super aggressive is like just going through and forcing that window, and I think we're starting to see that from him. So I would definitely be cautious about expecting more just because it's preseason and i think every year people forget the gap between preseason defense and regular season defense like it's it's pretty drastic the example i always bring up is i don't remember what year but back when i was a kid and i was still a fan i remember justin reed had like a really huge preseason he was like a second round pick i thought he was going to start for the celtics based on how he was playing (laughs) and i think he was out of the nba by the end of that season like it's uh there's a rude awakening but, I mean, we know Peyton, you know, we know they can get a shot off in the regular season. I think the question is, can he run point? Can he hold up defensively? And can he can he get into the paint and then not have to turn around? Like, he just needs to be able to have forward momentum when he has the ball. And I'm optimistic he's going to do it pretty well. I think this talk about him winning sixth man of the year that I've seen a few people bring up, it's a little excessive, especially because the sixth man is going to be like, what, like either Al Horford, Derek White, or Drew Holiday, maybe, right. based on the night. So, like, definitely not going to happen. But I think the Celtics paying him seven and a half mil and just betting that he could be their backup guard was definitely the right call so far. And to clarify the take, by the way, just so there's no confusion about six man of the year or something like that, it was not that Peyton Pritchard was going to be better this year than Malcolm Brogdon was last year. It's that I absolutely expect regression out of Brogdon. He's not going to shoot the three as well as he did last year. It was an anomaly of a year in that respect. And there are a lot of things around that that, honestly, he just didn't do as well as, you know, I, I think people are led to believe as it relates to winning six man of the year. So it's it's a this year comparison Pritchard versus Brogdon, just to, you know, for any confusion that uh, any listeners or you, Jared, may have around that, uh, <laughs> but, you know, flaming hot take. But Ev, uh, clearly... Top of the take. Yeah, he's cl- clearly he is not... Uh, Weissier is not as, as in on, on the Pritchard talk as we are. Well, I think he's he's doing a, a really smart thing. It's just called managing expectations. <laughs> I, I think that comes with a, a certain amount of level-headedness that... Sometimes you and I can get caught up in from time to time that we don't really experience that. It has been a wonderful couple of games to watch Payton Pritchard really thrive. 
I kind of agree with Jared. He looks slightly more explosive. He's getting downhill a little bit more. He had a move, and now I'm just blanking on who he kind of sized up in transition. Uh, and I forget exactly one of the quarter because it's preseason. I don't, you know, take as copious of notes as I normally do. But there was a point, I believe, in the second half of the Sixers game, uh, the third game of the preseason, where he was kind of at one speed at around three quarters court, sized up the defender who was approaching him to try and stop the ball, and just blew right by the guy for an easy layup. Um, there's a couple other instances where I think it was against the Knicks where he'd get down low. Um, I think it was against maybe it was against Sims. I don't again. I don't remember exactly this point where he's down low. You know, brings it back out, but does that little awesome. You know, Tatum does it a lot now. The the fake one way, spin back the other way, and get an easy layup. I think there's just he seems more comfortable uh, at this moment. I was going back through when I found this video. I think Greeny had it in one of his blogs about. Uh, he was having a conversation with somebody about how he hired guys from the European leagues that he needed to come over and, and work with him, you know, one-on-one to like to really guard him so he could really put some serious work in, not just like, you know, getting defended by a chair or, or just having your basic five-on-five pickup that you see a lot of these superstars do. He was trying to have guys really guard him and, and, and put him to the ringer, so to speak. So the hard work that Pritchard has put in in the off seasons, Seems like it's paying off. I'm with Jared in the look. Maybe we get to pump the brakes on the, but at the same time, I'm not here to tell you to not get excited because, you know, he brings a certain amount of spacing to the floor if he's going to knock down threes from 35 feet. I mean, I, I'm not expecting all the time, but he's clearly got a, a lot of confidence right now pulling up from wh- wherever he wants to pull up from. And if he's a little bit more comfortable driving to the basket, how that can translate to points for other guys. Um, I think Kaufman through the first couple of games, the offense has not been a concern at all. It seems like this team has taken maybe another step forward in, in their offensive sets. Seems like they can be able to run things without Jalen and Jason on the floor again against preseason defenses. Um, and it's exciting because a lot of the things that you get annoyed about with this team are the stagnant offensive possessions they have at the end of games. And again, through three preseason games, we haven't seen that. So I think there's the, the level of optimism that I think collectively people are feeling, I think is warranted. And Pritchard is definitely at the top of the reasons to, as to why you should feel optimistic. He's been tremendous. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I'm shocked that he's been this good in terms of like, wow, he looks a little different. He looks a little more explosive. It looks like he has a better handle on how he needs to attack certain things. It's not about like, he's not going to jump out of the gym. He's not, uh, a guy that's going to, you know, um, you know, come off of certain screens like a Hauser will and, and become a move. No, this is more of a guy who has the offense in his hands and just looks a little bit more capable of, of, uh, of starting things and finishing things. And that's been a real awesome, awesome perk to watch for the first three games. So, Jared, team wide, let's let's get off of Pritchard's jock for a second and talk Wait, about. I'm not talking about Pritchard. I'm not talking about Pritchard. All right, more. Please, more about Pritchard by all means. Yeah. Let's just say this is the Peyton Pritchard tribute show. Sure. Yeah. Listen, we can say an extra 20 minutes, by the way, if we have to, I want to get all these Pritchard takes off. First <laughs> off, you, you mentioned the, the, uh, off ball shooting. I actually think that's something that they should be using a moron because he, he's pretty good at that. And I think one thing that we're seeing Svee do a lot, who's been pretty solid so far 
is he's one of those shooters that he'll do the quick give and go where like he'll pitch ahead to a big and then immediately off of that sprint around that big for the handoff and pull up right off of the handoff coming around that screen. Those quick little two man things. I feel like when the Celtics tried to do two man actions last year, it was kind of slow and deliberate. It's like, let's get either like one of the guards to sprint into a screen or let's get the spots right to do a pick and pop of the big. And like, because of Porzingis and because he can do pretty much everything out of a screen, they can do a lot of that. But I think using these guys like Pritchard, Hauser, and Svee, and having Svee really show them how to do it in the NBA, getting a lot more of those quick, you know, sprint into it two-man actions would be really beneficial. And then just the other thing, and then I'll let Adam host the show again, is <laughs> I, I told you guys I was going to talk about this. There's there's this one pass that really stuck out with me uh, for me with Pritchard, which was at the end of the Philly game on Wednesday, right? I think that's what it was. Um, during training camp, the days yep. are all a blur. Um, yep, yeah. So... And late probably in the, the game, regular season too. Yeah, I think it was late in the fourth quarter, or late in the game at least. Uh, Pritchard had the ball, and Jordan Walsh was wide open on the opposite elbow. He was on the right elbow. Yeah, I do and know we just saw Pritchard. About. Yeah, he, he took the pick and roll. He went down the sideline instead of going towards the middle, and he just like whipped a skip pass right on the money to Walsh. Obviously, Walsh pricked it because he's a rookie. He's not going to hit that shot. But to see Pritchard making a cross-court skip pass out of the pick and roll, I don't really remember seeing. I'm sure he's done it a couple times, but I don't remember seeing that. And it was not an easy window from what I remember. Like, it was it was definitely a little bit of a tight window. He made the pass early. And if you're able to quickly hit that pocket and make that pass a step before everyone's anticipating it, that's how you thread it through those lanes. Because like it's not like Jason Tatum where he's you know he's probably like seven foot three with the standing reach. So when he throws those passes, he's throwing it over the top of everyone. Like Peyton's got to thread that, and he did a really good job at that. And I saw that pass. I'm like, whatever else he's doing, that's fine. But if he can play make at that level and he can pass one man past who he's supposed to be passing to, that's when he actually becomes a really good point guard and actually turns into like a really valuable seventh man. A lot of great stuff with Jared Weiss. We will get right back to him. But uh, listen, among all the talk Ev, about are the Celtics the best? Should they be the best? What's the win total? Are they the betting favorites? All that stuff. We got to shout out our kind, kind sponsors. Yeah. They, and look, folks, with the NBA coming up around the corner and the NFL season in full swing, there's no better time to sign up for FanDuel than right now. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And thanks to us here at CLNS Media, new customers, and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place just a $5 wager. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, just by using our promo code. You've been thinking about FanDuel for a while. There's no better place and no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app, folks, super easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. We've been doing a lot of football talk on this particular show. Let's get into some basketball talk because I do believe we have some, some preseason stuff coming game? up. Well, we can, we can do some preseason games. We can talk about lines, but, you know, C's don't play for a while. Uh, the, the line for C's game against the Knicks, the next game they have is Celtics minus two and a half. So if you want to look into that, I don't love betting preseason. That's a real game. That's yeah. So the first, excuse me, because I'm looking at the date. You're right, Kaufman. It is C's minus two and a half opening at the Knicks. I actually kind of love that. 
If they're healthy, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of all over that. Coffin, before yeah. we end this, uh, this show, I might want to throw some money down real quick, just so we get it in at <laughs> two and a half. Cause I don't think not going to stay there, but there's other things you can gamble on too with FanDuel Celtics. As we've talked about with Jared on the show multiple times, they are the betting favorites plus 380 along with the Bucks, Denver plus 550, Phoenix plus 550, Lakers, your fifth overall uh, in terms of odds at plus 1300. I love uh, the Celtics at plus 380 and the Nuggets at plus 550. Jason Tatum, is this the year? Plus 750 for MVP. Uh, Jokic, rightfully the favorite to win this award at plus 430. Lazio, like seven already? What's that? What's he have seven already? Something like that. He should have had three in a row. And I don't need to get into this right now because this is a total politics. I don't need to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that we're all smarter now. We know what's going on. Look, Steph Curry plus fourteen hundred. By the way, for MVP, just go throw that out there because uh, look, Curry's one of the best players I've ever seen in my life, and I'm never counting him out until he is buried and out of the playoffs. But there's so many things that you can wage around with FanDuel. It is the number one place to make all of your bets. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. Get in on the action this NFL season. Kick off the NBA regular season with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, back to Jared. Yeah, and as long as he's not obviously reckless, careless, and isn't full what I might call, you know, pro-am Peyton and can translate some of those skill sets, obviously, to the NBA game, which obviously he's done. And, and to your point, huge difference between uh, summer programs to summer league to preseason to regular season, even to postseason. So it's just about seeing sort of maturity and growth. But it's nice that we have a sample size where we can't talk about Peyton Pritchard and and say, oh, he's never done this before like Jordan Walsh. You know, we know what he is capable of in the regular seasons just now. He's going to have that much bigger a role opportunity. I think he's, I don't even know, you could speak to it better than me if he was ever in the doghouse per se with Joe Missoula last year. It's just for whatever reason, Pritchard, you know, Brad showed a certain, I don't even want to say like certain guys believed in him, others didn't, but Brad Stevens, when he was coaching, showed a certain belief in Peyton Pritchard, whereas he had an opportunity, whereas, you know, under Ime Odoka took a while you know, for him to get off the pine. Missoula took a while for him, for him to get an opportunity. Maybe it's because first-year head coaches tend to lean on the experienced guys and shorter benches and all of that. I don't know. But Pritchard, you know, he's, he knows – they know what they have in him now, and obviously they have shown that confidence in him with the contract. Where I was starting to go before, and maybe I, I should open the show with this because, again, we're – we have games now to – to look back on, whereas, uh, you know, this time last week talking to Himmelsbach, we didn't, is it's one of the big wait and sees from the Porzingis, Porzingis acquisition, Smart gone, Grant gone, and then fast forward holiday acquisition and Rob gone and Brogdon gone was, okay, oh, we have ideas for how this could look, what what could potentially happen, and uh, the versatility in, in the offense and what the abilities are defensively, all of this 
but we need to see it in practice. And I know it's not like every player has played every game. Jays are getting some time off. Holiday's not playing huge minutes. Poor thing is anybody. Nobody's playing huge minutes in the preseason. They shouldn't be. But now that we are seeing a segment of what this does look like, what this can look like, what do you think compared to what we've seen all these years in the past? I mean, I I don't understand why people are pushing back on the notion that they or why I, there shouldn't be. It should be a consensus that what they did was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I guess maybe five years ago, the idea of putting a big three together was all the rage. And now I think teams have backed off of that. I think most teams are realizing you really need a transcendent MVP level player and an all NBA compliment. And you need you need an MJ and Scotty or a Shaq and Kobe pairing. That's probably the easiest way to do it, mostly because of just the realities of the salary cap, which became way more drastic this summer. Mm-hmm. And the the thing is with the way with the second apron now, teams are going all in for two to three year windows, and they're probably backing out. We'll see how it works, but that's probably how it's going. So if your two to three year window now allows you to get two all stars in and I'm calling KP an all-star just because he's done it before. And last year he did play at that level. He just mm-hmm. didn't make it. And like, there's probably 20 guys that play like all-stars, only 12 of them make it. Right. But so, you know, you got, you got four all-stars and then Derek white is one of the best role players in the NBA. And Horford is definitely losing somebody. He's still a very good role player. It's like, have like the top six that they have is probably the best in the NBA. It's phenomenal. Having very good seven and eight. They just did that last year and it wasn't enough. And they've done that in the past. It wasn't enough. It's like at the end of the day, it's really your top half that determines your ceiling. And then I think they just figured Pritchard and Hauser are going to be good enough that they can play and we're willing to put them in playoff games. So I think what they did this offseason is a no-brainer. I'm also really high on Drew Holiday and think he's got a couple good years left in him before he starts to decline. Um, and, you know, I thought him making all-star last year was overdue. And all the criticisms about his playoff performance, I think they're mostly mitigated by the fact that he's going to be like the third or fourth option in Boston. And he was stepping up to being the second option for these last few years in Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. I just, I thought it was a no brainer. And when they put Rob in the trade, I was like, you know, it's tough. But the second they got Porzingis, I kept hearing, you know, Rob could be moved if they're able to make a big move. And it made perfect sense. And now looking at the way this seems operating, it's like, I'm sure they're going to miss Rob, but once you start to see what Drew can really do, I mean, Drew Drew offensively is very similar to Marcus Smart. He's just a lot better at a lot of the things that Smart tried to be good at but just wasn't consistent at. And I, I just I think Drew's like the perfect point guard to put on this team. You don't need a super ball-dominant guy. You don't need a just like a, a pull-up shooter like a Dame or a Curry type. You just need someone who's a good organizer, who's a good three-level scorer, and knows how to control tempo. And I think he's perfect for that. So I think everything we've seen so far – in this preseason kind of fits with what we've expected from this team. And there's still a lot of work to get drew integrated and drew's kind of like finding his spots now. But I I think probably a couple months into the season, you're going to see drew really find his footing. And that's when this team can really take off. Yeah. The thing that has been kind of rolling around a little bit is the, uh, just stay on the drew holiday thing is this expectation that he might not actually start. And I know we make a lot of big deal uh, in terms of like who starts, who, who comes off the bench, et cetera, et cetera. But Zach um, was was pretty not adamant, but kept kind of pushing the, you know, don't be surprised if Holiday comes off the bench sort of thing. And that, I think, if it lingered for too long, would actually shock me. Would that shock you, Jared, at all or no? Yeah, I would be shocked if they put an all-star on the bench. And 
you know, it's one thing when like Pop did that with Manu, because you know Manu, I think Manu kind of was growing into his career and was in that role. You know, Drew just got here, and I I know I think if there's any All Star in the NBA that would be willing to come off the bench, I would probably put Drew number one on the list. I think he is as flexible, amenable, and willing to do what it takes as anyone. You know, I don't really know what the point of it would be. Like the the reasons why you bring someone off the bench, it really is about rotations or second units, stuff like that. But it makes a huge difference in perception for that player. And I think that the the consequence of telling someone to come off the bench versus the advantage you gain from it might not make it worthwhile. You probably could get away with it with Drew, but like I think they could bring Derek White in off the bench and he'll be able to get up to speed quickly. Um you know, I think a lot of the counterpoints I've, or a lot of the reasons why I've heard this makes sense is people saying Derek White's a feel of the game guy. You want to get him in there, give him a chance to like figure things out. Kind of feel like you could say the same thing about Drew. So I just, Drew, I think Drew Holiday is the third best player on this team now. Honestly, could give Jalen Brown a run for second best player on this team. And I would want to maximize his time on the floor. Oh, I don't know if I would. I, well, all right. High praise for Drew Holiday. I don't know if I would have gone. I mean, that. he's. He's one of the best defenders of all time. Like he's sure. he's incredible, and he's still defending pretty close to that level. And he's a viable twenty point score, eight or seven assist guy. What did he average last year? Like eighteen, nineteen points a game. Yeah, it's like eight, yeah. like nineteen, eight, and five. Yeah, I mean the total points he's creating between scoring and assists is close to Jalen's ballpark. And then I think Jalen's defense has become underrated. Like absolutely, it's become underrated. But like Drew is. Drew's probably the best guard defender I've seen since I started covering the NBA. I think him and Smart are kind of neck and neck there, and he's one of the best I've seen ever. Like he's, is like I think people forget that the degree between someone being a twenty and twenty-seven point score on offense could be the same. You could say the same thing about Jalen to Drew's defensive impact. Sure. In terms of defense, the players, even the coaching staff to some degree, have obviously uh, made it a point to talk about how they sort of need to not reinvent themselves, but lock in more so defensively. We've heard it from the Jays. We've heard it from other players on the team. Just that needs to be more of a, a, a focal point of their identity than it was at, at points last year, despite overall you know, pretty good metrics for the team last year. They, you could just tell watching them, you know, it was offense first. Is it going to be kind of a little bit more defense first? Like it was, let's say during many of the Brad years, even the Odoka year, or do you think we're, we're just trying to toe that line right down the middle between what uh, some like to affectionately refer to as Missoula ball. And then obviously sort of the, the throwback defense. I think this is where Missoula is really going to establish his coaching bona fides. You know, defense scheme is almost irrelevant. I would be willing to bet that if the Celtics had, if they check off every box about mentality, focus, communication, and they played a 2-3 zone and they never broke away from playing a 2-3 zone the entire season and their offense was great, I think they would still be the best team in the NBA because defense is about athleticism, motion, paying attention, physicality, communication. It's like it's the scheme the scheme really kind of sets a tone initially, but it's really about like, are you on in sync with everybody else? And so, you know, I, I think that that's what the whole conversation is about. It's about just looking at defense as like, this is what defines us. Defense is, I think Joe said, defense is like your ticket, your admission ticket. 
You know, Ime and Brad also said similar things about like defense is what gets you on the floor. Over the years, everything everyone always said to me about Brad was that defense is what gets you on the court. And that has to be the mentality that they take. Now, the whole Missoula ball thing, I think Joe didn't do a good job communicating the nuance of his philosophy. I also think that Joe was also just kind of stuck in oversimplification of his philosophy. And he kind of got bogged down in trying to argue the basic tenets as opposed to trying to expand. And so I think he's like figured out both his like public communication strategy better and also how to communicate with the team better and how to layer things better. And so I think this year you're going to see the offense more convoluted. There's going to be a lot more post play. Like that's, I think it's a big thing they're going to try to build in over the course of the year. But I know for Joe, he's always looked at things as offense and defense are two sides of the same coin in that separating the two things takes so it doesn't really fit completely his philosophy is based on the flow of the game between those two endpoints and he doesn't want to like say we're an offense team we're a defense team he wants them to think like we're a transition team that can handle on both ends and so you know the world will always talk about it as offense and defense and like hey technically it is offense defense right it's at one hoop or the other hoop and so it's important not to lose sight of that but I think Joe is really going to try to find a balance and not make this team just an offense team that tries to keep up on defense. How's his general, for lack of a better word, I guess, demeanor attitude as, you know, we're, we're midway through camp, let's say the regular season's right around the corner later this month, a couple more preseason games. One thing we've talked a lot about in recent shows with our various guests has just been how he's, settled into the role he's you know coming in a lot more confident he learned a lot obviously last year he has this whole off season coming off of that to then prepare for this season he's in some ways described as you know a, a different guy not only in terms of how he carries himself but treatment of the media which certainly at, at points last year was was in question you know uh, there were uh, you know many many an awkward moment whether a one-on-one or or in the group setting as well is I, I guess I'm just wondering not that it matters you know ultimately results matter not you know how Joe is is handling you guys on a daily basis who are there every day but I wonder is you know is is he changed? Is he evolved? Or are we going to, you know, see him kind of turtle back into his shell, if you will, the first time the team loses three straight games? Yeah, I mean, everything's good until they get punched in the face. So we'll see how that changes. We'll see if he gets if he gets on the hot seat again. We'll see what happens. But, um, I mean, last year, when people always asked me about this, I'd do shows and I'd be asked about, like, how do you feel about Joe? I never once had an issue with how he treated me. Um, if he wants to be a pain in the ass on the podium, that's fine. Like that's his prerogative. I think it, I think the way that he treated the media backfired on him last year. I think what's probably fortunate for him is I think everybody likes him and thinks he's a really good person. The person that I've always talked to on the side away from the mics, I've always really liked. I love talking hoops with him. Um, he's like, he's great. His personality is fun. He's, it's funny. Um, he's like crazy, but like, I think in a good way. And, I think a lot of the people on the outside who don't know him personally and only see him through the press conferences probably didn't mm-hmm. like a lot of what they were seeing. And when they see him doing the crazy stuff, it, it rubbed them the wrong way. But if you know Joe, it's like endearing. And uh, it's just like it's it's a nice change of pace, uh, honestly. And like Ime, well, Ime was great with the media. He was super low-key and low-energy. And Joe is like upbeat and bright and exciting and challenging and stuff like that. So I really enjoy covering Joe. 
Um, last year it was really difficult just because like when we asked some questions, it was hard to get useful, useful quotes. It was hard to get kind of like, it was hard to get a good back and forth going, but the way it's been this year has been awesome. Like, I think we're seeing the way that he's always been with me and others off camera. We're seeing it on camera now. So comfortable in the skin, so confident. I mean, a big thing was like when he was on the JJ pod and he even like recognized that his, he might have lost his job if he hadn't, you know, gotten to where he got to. Like the fact that he was able to do that is such a such a dramatic shift from the pressure they, and the defensiveness that he had last season. Like it was a remarkable. I couldn't believe that he actually said it out loud. I could have seen him saying it out loud privately, but to say it publicly, hell, maybe he'll realize he's overexposing and maybe reel it back. I certainly hope not because I think he's doing a good job towing the line. Um, but it, it, it just beyond the actual like media stuff, I think he doesn't feel like he has to prove himself and earn his place with his team anymore. Also, he's kind of reconfigured the staff around him. There's like that, you know, I, I know the public talks so much about like Emay's guys versus Joe's guys. And I, I think I got some of that perception from some of the people in the organization last year. But when I would talk to people that were supposed to be Emay's guys, they always spoke really highly of Joe. I know they didn't just, they didn't agree with everything that he was doing, but they really respected him as a person. They felt heard and whatever issue people were projecting onto the situation. I never really got any of that from people on the staff and people around the staff and around the team last year, necessarily. There was some tangent, kind of like a tangential observers that I think were perceiving that. And maybe there was some truth to it for sure. But I, I think I, I really think Joe was really just trying to do his best in an extreme situation last year. And now it's on an extreme situation. Like now he has the the proper prep time. Everything's in place. They've stacked the roster for him. And it's kind of just his job not to mess up at this point. Yeah. I was going to piggyback off that because it seems like to me, a lot of people have made a lot of remarks and comments about the depth of this team and I've obviously mentioned this a few times on this podcast but I'm worried of the depth about the depth about the depth now that we've seen it in play I actually think this team is a little bit deeper than they were last year I think some of the pieces make a little more sense I think Svee's been just really awesome I remember um, when I was working for Jeff Goodman they we had a podcast with uh, SVP and we were just picking his brain about stuff. And he goes, the best shooter in this class is Steve. He's, he's just really unbelievable. He's in, a, in an open gym. He's ridiculous. And I think you're starting to see some of that along with the playmaking and, and, and what he can bring to the table. I think, you know, another year under Hauser's belt is going to be tremendous. And then they have these two guys who, you know, might be good shooters, might not, but they're going to bring defense and energy to the table. And Lamar Stevens and O'Shea Brissett, who can kind of like, okay, you know, if there's a wing player shooters. that needs to be slowed down a little bit, be able to throw him out there and and and, and give him a little bit of uh you know a little bit more of a pain in the ass. You, my my question is more revolved around this depth. Is it a little bit um, more battle tested than I think people are giving them credit for? Because you got some a lot of guys from a lot of different places. I mean, listen, they got they got eight clear rotation guys. Because I think Pritchard and Hauser are probably going to be there this year. Mm-hmm. Hauser, I think, has been really good in the preseason. Um, I wrote about it the other night. I, I the stuff he's doing with his passing making quick decisions offensively, his defensive work rate. I think he's actually taking a step forward. We'll see obviously how it holds up, but I, if he can do this in the in the regular season a month or two from now, then he's a, he's a solid eighth man and they're fine there. So V I've always liked his game. Inconsistency has been the biggest issue with him. Um, and then just, he kind of like fades on defense. He goes through streaks on offense, but the people in New York liked him, even though he didn't really carve out an opportunity. People I talked to in Charlotte 
really, really were big on him. And they were like, we think he's actually turned the corner in his career and he's actually going to make it. I mean, who knows? He almost went to Greece. So, you know, and yeah. the league clearly wasn't trying to get him too hard. So who knows? But, um, you know, I, I'm optimistic that Zvi will be a you know capable ninth man for them this year and maybe even get into the rotation if he's playing better than guys like Hauser or Pritchard because he can do a little bit of both of what they do. So I, I think they're fine with the ninth man and tenth man with him and Brissett. Brissett I've always liked in Indiana. He's also an erratic player, tons of energy. His vert's better than I realized. Like that that putback that he had, it was I think it was the first preseason game where he got like a forty, like he got like forty three inches up in the air. I was like, holy shit, I didn't know he could jump like that. So yeah. I, I, I think that they've pieced together the kind of rotation that you expect from a championship team that has pushed their chips all in to stack the top of the roster. And you look at like what Phoenix has done, where they're in a similar position. I don't think Phoenix's depth, even after, I mean, they traded a starter to fill in the rest of their roster. And I mean, Nurkic offensively has looked good, so maybe it'll end up being a good trade. But like, I mean, I don't think Phoenix's depth is significantly better than Boston's depth. I think Boston's in a similar realm. Milwaukee's probably in a similar similar realm also. Um, I just think with Boston, they picked up so many minimum veterans that are like, three to five-ish years into their career. And these are all guys that usually they start to fade out of the league just because if you can't prove that you're a rotation player after three or four years, there's too many new guys that have been coming into the league that are going to get a chance. A lot of teams are going to let, I mean, there's, I was looking at the list of uh, players that aren't available, that aren't in the league right now. And there's a few guys. I'm like, wow, I'm kind of surprised that guy's not getting a contract, but Teams would rather try their second round pick that they just took this year instead of this guy because they want to develop somebody. And so, you know, guys like Banton, Svee, Brissett, uh, Stevens, these are all guys that I could see going to Europe next year or I could see them making the Celtics rotation because all of them definitely have the talent to get, you know, 10 minutes a night. Anyone of, of that group that you expect to not be here come opening night? No, and I didn't even mention Cornette, who is, you know, Brad Stevens' favorite son. And he's someone sure. that's just really universally liked by the franchise just because of, like, everything he does, his locker room culture, everything mm-hmm. he does, like, mentally on the floor. Obviously, he only works in specific situations and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I do think Lamar Stevens is going to make it based on just everything I was hearing coming into the season. Um, also, with uh, Jay Scrub getting hurt, they could probably just – I think they could just put J- uh, DJ Stewart on a two-way to keep him around. So that probably even eases the roster decisions they have to make. Um, and then Gabriel, like, when they signed him, I was surprised he was still available. I thought he had a pretty solid defensive season playing the five for the Lakers last year. Mm-hmm. Really good energy guy. I think he's probably a similar role to Brissett, but he can play more centered while Brissett can more of a 3-4. But you know, maybe maybe they end up carrying 14 guys into the season and someone like Gabriel is gone. But, like, I think they need center depth. And I think they need someone besides Luke, somebody that can, yep. you know, switch more easily, somebody that can be more physical around the rim. So I expect Gabriel to make it. And then Banton's, like, the other guy who, based on his contract, based on his career, based on the way Nick Nurse's former coach even talked about him uh, before the first preseason game where, you know, Nick wasn't exactly glowing. It was kind of like, he's got the talent, but he's been really inconsistent. And you talk to people up in Toronto, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, that the way he responded to Missoula benching him at the, in the second half of the, of that Philly game, he responded mm-hmm. really well. Like I remember he came back in the game, he was running everywhere. He was, 
crashing the glass hard. He was sprinting into screens and stuff like that. Like he showed that response, but if they have to keep doing that with him, then I could see them being like, you know what? We need someone that's going to bring it consistently because Banton has too much skill going to the rack and too much length uh, on defense to not be a consistently effective player every single night. But there's a reason why guys with talent fade out of the league and it's hard to bring it and hard to be locked in every single time. Is there a role for JD Davison? No, but it's gotten better. Uh, you know, that, especially that Philly game, he, for anyone that watches him in Portland, have, has anyone seen him run, pick and roll where he gets into the teeth of the defense and he slows it down? He puts a guy on his back and actually like patiently waits to make a pass. That was shocking to see him doing that. Cause he wasn't even doing that in summer league, but it just goes to show, especially with these like two way guys, when the season ends for them in March with the, with the red claws, and I'm calling them the Red Claws, even though I just realized that's not their name anymore. Totally. But it's the Red Claws. Um, <laughs> it's easy to remember. They're just the Celtics. Exactly. But, I like the Red Claws better, though. Yeah, me yeah. too. Fun. So with the forever Red Claws, um, <laughs> he, he, like, he doesn't get to do player development on a daily basis with the franchise after that. It's kind of, right. you know, it's joining the playoff run and, and, you know, following that stuff around. So there's no, they don't have time to focus on this development. I'm sure he's getting some of it in, but they don't have time for it. So, he didn't really probably get to do a ton of player development before summer league, but after summer league, that's when the staff is free to work with him. He can spend the whole summer working on it. And I think we've seen a pretty drastic difference between who he was in Vegas, who I thought was for the most part, very disappointing to where he is now at the end of the day, his touch is just so off, like really clunky, doesn't feel confident taking floaters, any of the, any of that kind of stuff that he's not going to play in the NBA until he gets there. But just seeing that he is now able to control his pace of dribble is already that next step that you want to see him take in the second year. Then maybe by season three, if he's able to stick around at that point, he's got some sort of scoring ability there and he's actually able to come around and be a full point guard. But all I know is, I don't know if any, if you guys, I'm sure you guys have, but like for people out there that haven't seen him play in real life, he is so fast and mm-hmm. his passing vision on the move is very yeah. impressive. I have not seen many players in the NBA that can do what he can do. Um, but there's just obviously so much more to being an NBA player than just being able to do that. We'll circle back real quick on this because it has nothing to do with the 2023-24 Celtics, but we're just we're talking prospects. It's, my mind is wandering a little bit. What about uh, like Begaron, Madar, right? Yamandar is the <laughs> other one. Like, has, has the ship sailed on, on these guys like ever even being part of this organization? No, I, I'm not getting much optimism that Yamadar is coming over and hope he and his family are okay with everything happening in his world right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the progress that was there for year two is kind of stalled out. And he's been playing for, he's at, I think he's at Partizan again this year, right? I can't even remember. I'm talking That's the wrong he's, people. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 been playing, he's been playing and doing a decent job for some you know high-level European clubs, so... I'm not sure why he didn't come over this year, but I think it might have been that he got a contract he wanted in Europe, if I'm remembering correctly. I'll have to go double-check my notes later. Uh, Bigger on, I thought he made some solid strides from the limited tape I was seeing. I mean, still not playing the kind of competition that makes you confident to bring him over. But, I mean, Bigger on was, and Madar as well, clearly like four-year projects. And mm. I think the Celtics would probably rather probably wait another year to bring him over where they know they can give him a little bit more opportunity. Maybe. Um, I mean, I guess he could, I mean, they just drafted Jordan Walsh. So maybe once they draft right. Walsh, you're like, we don't really need bag wrong. So there's a lot of similarities there. So you might as well just like keep him overseas, 
you still have his rights until he eventually comes over and then you can tender him that offer and then, you know, see what you got. But, you know, Walsh is solid and Walsh has got good potential to be a, I could see him being a rotation player in the NBA. So you got him here now and you might as well, you know, Al Horford's already trying to teach yeah. him some movie culture, like, you know, maybe <laughs> movie culture. How to <laughs> <laughs> That's the, uh, and what have you thought of Walsh so far? Just being the, I mean, he's, like so many of these guys, he's, you know, your quintessential preseason fan favorite. But in terms of what, uh, you know, what, what he can actually be in, in the next, I don't know, let's, let's just say the first two years of his career. I, I think back to, they're not the same player, but I think back to when the Celtics drafted Grant Williams. It's a different team, different opportunity back then too. But in terms of sort of what he could grow into here. Yeah. I mean, Grant, Grant was a really unique case where he earned, a seventh, eighth man role, eighth man role right away because he could hit shots and yeah. the team believed that he could hit shots. And so they stuck with him through that 0 for 25 streak, which hmm. was hilarious. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and then he came out the other side being more effective. And they also needed specifically a brute stopper at the forward position. And so he fit what they were looking for and they were willing to give him a chance. And, investing and being patient with them, which is something we haven't seen the organization do with many of these young guys, uh, that really paid off. And who knows if they, you know, gave him more patience last year, how it would have turned out. I mean, we'll see in Dallas. Um, Clearly Dallas believes in him since they paid him a lot for somebody who was, you know, in and out of the rotation. But, you know, I think Walsh's shot is not, it doesn't look like Grant's, um, you know, Grant really improved his shot over that first summer and made drastic strides um, every single off season. Jordan, I haven't quite seen that kind of mechanical improvement that touch there yet, but I also have barely seen him take shots yet. So we'll see. I mean, I do remember when Pritchard made that beautiful uh, skip pass to him and he completely bricked a completely wide open shot. So like clearly, you know, like you need to hit those shots if you want to get minutes. Um, I, I think they really like his transition speed. I think that was a big part of why they, took him was he's going to be good in transition, probably on both ends. He could do it. Um, and he's got some creativity on offense in summer league. You could see him trying to do all sorts of moves and like finishing moves and stuff like that. And he was so off. It was like ridiculous, but he eventually got a feel for it. So I think they, there's a lot of potential for him to be a little bit more of a creative score. And then on defense, the one thing I liked about his defense in college, I think will help him translate early is he was so good about hand-checking guys that had the ball early in a possession Then right when they were going to go for the foul, he would get his hands back and he would get them up high. And I'm trying to give you some good defensive demos for all the people watching on video here. And (laughs) it's really, really hard for young defenders that are supposed to be physical not to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And I mean, we one thing I remember about Grant was he would foul out every single time he would play uh, in his rookie year. And so I think Walsh being able to hold up defensively probably be able to switch two through three, maybe four competently and eventually be able to switch on the ones at some point in the future. I I think that the Celtics will probably go to him a little bit this year as they try to develop him. But I think Lamar Stevens is probably better than him at this point because Lamar is a really steady defender. He's got a little bit of dribble drive game to him. And then his shot from everything I've heard, he's really improved his shot this off season, but we'll obviously see how it goes in the regular season. I'm sure some people out there are listening, watching, thinking like, why are you fixating so much on on the likes of Jordan Walsh and Spee or Peyton Pritchard or Banton or Brissett or Stevens? All the, the, the reason is because depth 
to some degree matters. And I wholeheartedly agree with what Jared said. Like, you got to have the one through six playoff rotations. If, God willing, you're healthy, get shorter in the postseason. Your key guys are your key guys. But over the course of a long regular season, and hopefully it proves irrelevant in the playoffs, but over the course of a long regular season, injuries are going to happen. We know that. They happen to everybody. You're going to have, whether it's load management or just key guys that are out for periods of time hopefully with nothing too serious maybe it's one off here one off there but guys are going to miss time depth is going to matter you look at your chief competition in the eastern conference in the milwaukee bucks what they look like when you know Giannis was unavailable and obviously you take away arguably the best player in the world it's going to make a difference but when Giannis was unavailable middleton was a shell of himself you just had holiday and not a whole hell of a lot around him and so i think you have to prepare for at least isolated games, what does that look like? Who do you have? Do you have enough? If you look at this team top to bottom, not one through six, top to bottom, I know they're championship favorites or co-favorites, and and they should be, but are they, in your mind, the best team in the NBA? They're tied with the Bucks. I can't put one over the other. Um, I mean, for me, like as far as the roster development, Regular season, who cares? I know the NBA is trying to make everyone care about the regular season by not letting them do load management until, of course, everybody starts tearing their ACLs and pretending like the in-season season tournament. tournament. <laughs> I, it was so funny seeing, you know, the Athletic had a report, and I think a few other places did, but you should read the Athletic's report. Uh, you know, Joe Dumars, who's one of the heads of the NBA now, we talked to, I, I think, a bunch of reporters in Chicago. I'm not sure exactly how it went down. And he, the reporting was that he was telling the coaches that we need them to care about the in-season tournament. And I'm like, well, then why would anyone care about the in-season tournament if you're asking them to care about the in-season tournament? The money didn't seem like it was enough. So I don't know what they're going to do to make it matter, but it'll be cool to have something. I'm a soccer fan, so I like the idea of there being a cup. Um, but anyway, um, the regular season doesn't matter in the end if you're a team like Boston who knows that they're going to make the playoffs, that like home court advantage is important, but it's not the most important thing in the world, especially because mm-hmm. Miami is going to win the play in, then they're going to meet them in the conference finals anyway. Right. So um, I, I think this is really about, do you have a team that can win a game six and a game seven? And that's when you're playing six and a half guys, you're playing your starters, 40 minutes, you're playing one guy on the bench, 35, and then another guy, 10 minutes. That's what it matters. And if your 10 minute guy is Peyton Pritchard or Sam Hauser, and then you got four all-stars that are all playing really well, getting those 40 minutes, you're probably going to win the championship or you're going to have a really good clo- shot at it just because the Bucks are also phenomenal. So um, hopefully Chris Middleton is healthy and will actually, the Bucks will also be uh, a great team. But so I, I think what Boston's done is a no brainer. I think they've done a really good job over the last few years of spacing out how they utilize their draft capital and their players to like go all in without, without completely compromising your near future. And we'll see where they're at, where they're at in 2030 when, uh, you know, after they've either hung no banners or they've hung three banners, I'd imagine it's going to be one or the other, honestly, but uh, (laughs) I like what they're doing. I think it's the right move. And I think that they didn't have to respond to the Dame thing by going all in for whatever they could just because they have to respond. Like, I think their team was good enough that even though I think the Bucks would be the favorites in the East, the Celtics still would have given them a good run for their money. But because it was Drew and because he was such a perfect fit for them and because he addresses the how do you replace Marcus Smart, like you replace him with the best version of Marcus Smart in the NBA, I think that that was just a no-brainer. And I don't think it's that controversial Um, because Rob Williams is hurt all the time. Al is older and can't rely on him. 
Yeah. yeah. God, I really hope that this turned anything. Of course, he hurt his knee during camp again. Um, yeah. And I'm sure when the Celtics saw that, they're like, you know what? I'm glad that we did this because this shows what the other side of the coin is if we don't take this risk. Yeah. Um, like, Kristaps is just... Rob is a special and unique defensive player and also a pretty unique offensive player. They never really tapped into his full potential on offense, and I really hope that they can do that in Portland. But just seeing just seeing Porzingis pick and pop from 30 feet, it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. they, ha- they have a, a legit pick and pop 30-foot threat, and then when teams are hard closing on him, he can blow by that whole defense, and he can pull up from 15 feet. There's a lot of stuff he can do, a lot of stuff he can open up with post-creation. I just think, even if Kristaps himself in a vacuum isn't, like, a truly elite player, just the dimensions that he can add to this offense at a pretty good level is just going to give them so many different things that they can do that in you know in the reg- in the playoffs when they become predictable they can just break out of that predictability and i think that's the trump card that they have now that they just didn't have before and i think that lifts their ceiling even more than people realize have anything to add no i like denver a lot i think denver is still the best team but you know, I think we're 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 arguing we're we're it's semantics right now. I just think Jokic is the best, and and I love him to death. <laughs> also, Jokic looks better right now in the in the preseason. Can't imagine what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, man, Jokic is who knows? Maybe he'll go down as a top ten player of all he's time. Incredible. He's, he's incredible. He's incredible. I I remember his second season being like, wait, what is this guy doing now? And to see the way it's evolved is mind blowing. Um, he's like a dream come true, and he's kind of like the idealized version of my own play style, where I'm just like a slow, trudging all over the place guy that can still like throw all sorts of crazy passes. So to see him normalize that, I really love it. Um, <laughs> Denver, I mean Bruce Brown, I think is a big loss. I'm a huge Bruce Brown sure. fan. Um, so that's a huge loss. And who knows what's going to happen with MPJ. I hope he can stay healthy, but, you know, I'm always worried about him. Um, I mean, yeah, Denver still – I still expect them to be the team that comes out of the West. Sorry, Phoenix. They're still the best there. I think the Bucks and Celtics are just a little bit more a little bit more dynamic, but not by much. I mean, De- Denver's great. And Denver was going to smack whoever they faced in the finals last year. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's here. Uh, go ahead, F. No, I'm just yep. I'm totally agree. I'm I'm just a big Denver guy. They're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome. I also don't know how the Celtics guard Jokic. They're uh, they're they're screwed on that one. That's for Julian sure. Strother had like what 24 points the other day. I'm like, yep, this is just what's going to happen. He's going to be great, and we're going to move on. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And that's where they're really going to feel the loss of Grant because Al's the only guy that can bang with him. I don't that's think Chris Ops is going to handle it. JT can step up as a big a lot of the time this year. We already seen him do some pick and roll coverage, which I think is kind of new. Uh, but he can't handle Jokic. Who knows? Maybe they put Drew on Jokic and then just like kind of loose double him the entire time. That honestly might be their option. Or O'Shea Brissett or Lamar Stevens is their, or I guess Wendy Gabriel will get in there. But yeah, that's the Bucks match up great. They have Brook Lopez. They have the Mountain. The Celtics do not match up well against Jokic. Two more preseason games, Tuesday, Thursday, and uh, then the regular season starts a few days after that. Wednesday, October 25th, 12 days from now, less than two weeks, the uh, what feels like annual opening night against the New York Knicks. Very excited about that and the season getting underway and having, uh, you know, not just these full games, but real games that matter to talk about and seeing how this settles in, what rotations look like, minutes, 
who plays with who, who starts, who closes. I think we could figure a lot of this stuff out on our own, but just to see it in actual action and practice, very much looking forward to that and always enjoy having Jared Weiss on from The Athletic with us. You know we will bug you during the regular season. We always do. But, Jared, thanks yeah, again yeah. for hopping on, bud. Thanks, boys. Jared Weiss, Evan Valenti, Adam Kaufman. This is Celtics Beat. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. We'll talk to you again next week.